Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. There's a need to be able to bring clean energy into integration, both on the consumer side and with the market. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, happy Thursday, Solar Warriors. I'm delighted and excited to have you tune in yet again to explore the career and lessons learned from clean energy executives and inspire and inform your own journey and growth. Hey, and if you're new to the Suncast, welcome to our tribe. I sure hope this information will help you enter through what I call the side door, bypassing some of the hard-won life lessons from our hundreds of guests. And if you're new and didn't check out this week's Tactical Tuesday, I highly recommend that you just hit pause and take a look back at episodes from June 30th, as it'll help set the stage. If you're already up to speed on reactive and real power, then power on, my friend. Today's entrepreneur is a returning guest, but not just from this week's Tactical Tuesday. President of Apparent Inc., Jacqueline D'Souza was one of the featured speakers during Suncast Summit back in April alongside John Bonanno and James Pagonas, talking all about how to take innovation through to implementation. Today, Jacqueline and I explore how a parent is taking on the task of making clean energy look more like a spinning generator, at least as far as the grid can tell, and why electric vehicles are ultimately the right testing ground for this technology. With a mix of hardware and software, she and her team are making the complexities of real and reactive power more, well, apparent. Stay tuned to find out how this mighty small team are making mighty big moves and moving into the next round of commercialization of their technology. And hey, if you really get into this kind of stuff, then I hope that you'll check out the hundreds of additional founder stories and startup advice we have at mysuncast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and our Energy Tribe newsletter so you don't miss out on all the goodness that we're bringing to you online and offline. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, as I said in the lead up, I am sure that if you're a listener, regular listener of Suncast, you're familiar with today's guest because you would have seen her in our Suncast Clean Energy Summit back in April, or you would have listened to the recent Tactical Tuesday we did with Jacqueline D'Souza. Jacqueline is an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, and by that, I mean she has spent time training entrepreneurs and thinking about the the way that startups uh, grow for many years. An attorney by trade, Jacqueline has dedicated the uh, last 10 plus years of her life to not only helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses, but helping one company in particular stealthily grow their presence. And that company, Apparent Inc., is part of what we're going to discuss today. Before I get too far down the rabbit hole, Jacqueline, welcome back to Suncast. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to see you. Likewise, likewise. Got so much great feedback from your participation in uh, what was a fantastic panel with you and John and, and Jim 
at the summit. And folks were, uh, I think, genuinely, as I was, surprised that they'd never heard of Apparent Inc. So that's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's fantastic. We're going to get a chance to dive into that. But Jacqueline, I am really curious at the outset to understand a bit more about how and why you found your way into clean energy. You're, as I said, a lawyer by trade, and you've spent a lot of time helping startups and startup founders get from ground floor to, you know, functioning effectively. What attracted you to clean energy as a category, uh, if anything, and how did you find yourself uh, working diligently for the past nine years in a, in a stealth company that is is focused on this topic? I am an attorney by training and have always worked with emerging companies, um, companies at different stages of their development. And it's always been exciting and interesting for me and, you know, for my colleagues to work on building things. It's such an adrenaline rush. So we had worked with a number of different companies over many years. Different companies need different types of support. We got to do a number of different things in terms of assisting in manufacturing and assisting with operational activities, fundraising, capital raises. What was really exciting about Apparent is that it had had developed a disruptive technology that not only was going to take existing renewables to where they should be, which is fully integrated with the utility grid, but that offered an opportunity for developing um, energy systems to leapfrog and actually, you know, gain that next advantage in their development. And I think what was really exciting about clean energy is, you know, I mean, energy is such a small part of any economy, but it's a gating item. You don't have, if you don't have an efficient energy structure and you don't have an efficient energy system, then the rest of your industry, the rest of your, your, your economy is hampered. That's really what attracted me to um, what a parent was doing. And, you know, I come, I come to the clean energy sector with the legal experience, but also I have a, a mathematics background. So I have a sort of a science interest. And that's, that was really a melding of both of those things in, you know, such an opportunity. You said something in a conversation that we had when I first got to know you that sticks in my mind. And I want to better unpack that because it flows into a lot of the work that you're doing now with a parent. So as we start to unpack that for folks, I think there's a decent starting point. You said clean energy has remained historically a niche market, and there are fundamental reasons why that's true in the larger scope of how power markets work. Can you help me understand what that means for you in the context, not only of what you're doing with a parent, but, but generally speaking, why would you assert that clean energy has been a niche market and, and what needs to, like, where do we, where's the, what's the evolution that's happening now? Clean energy has been an energy source that can be tapped by people, wealthier segments of society. It's a niche market from the standpoint that if you have, if you're, if you're wealthy enough to be able to adopt it, 
it's advantageous if you're wealthy enough to purchase an electric vehicle. Um, it's incredibly advantageous. It hasn't been something that is a baseline within within economies, whether you're in a developed world or a developing world. That has has created these segments of opportunity, both you know within wind and solar. But geothermal, when you think about, you know, the the adoption of geothermal, it's either in in large plants, again far away from from um, consumers, or in expensive to the large part heating systems. So geothermal heating systems that are used for more upscale um, consumers. I think that has driven renewables and clean energy into much more of an opportunistic sector of the market. There's a need to be able to bring clean energy into integration, both on the consumer side and with the market. Well, obviously, we're having a transformation of our energy grid. We think of it as the energy transition and clean energy, which is where the majority of our audience has been focused, if, if not directly in solar, has been in many ways marginalized as intermittent and uh, local source of energy that perhaps rarely gets actually injected into the grid with the exception of like large utility scale. So if we think about a container within which clean energy begins to grow and expand beyond that container, we start thinking about distributed energy resources and how storage in particular is integrated into clean energy to provide what many might call firm power for these intermittent resources. Something that's fascinating for me about the way that a parent works, and I I recognize for the listener, they may not understand what a parent does, is that the underlying technology you once said to me is that a parent follows the electron from source or where it's generated to how it actually interacts with the utility grid. By way of that analogy, would you be so kind as to give us a general introduction to the underlying thesis of a parent and how it how you're seeking to expand on the energy transition we're also uh, anxiously waiting for? So the transition that we see the clean energy market engaging in comes from what we what we just talked about, which is the niche nature of clean energy in that Clean energy systems today are focused on individual segments of the energy market. So you've got panel manufacturers that are focused on optimizing extraction and delivery. You've got power electronics that are focused on a very small segment. What a parent does is a a parent follows exactly what happens from the generation of energy from whatever source exists. Today, we're focused on solar and storage, all the way through to how the consumer is using that energy and how you optimize that energy for the consumer, but in parallel with the utility grid. So what a parent is doing is developing an integrated system that optimizes both the extraction of clean energy, which is one part of the market, through to optimizing how the consumer uses it, how that can benefit the utility grid. So how consumers located behind the meter can actually support the production and distribution of energy 
by the energy market itself, the the transmission providers, the generators, as well as the low voltage and distribution grid. How we do that is a very advanced platform of software and hardware. Our platform is able to produce reactive power as well as real power locally. We don't take real power and then convert it, which is what a lot of systems do. We follow the electron from its source. We take unstable energy and we convert it at its source. So we're able to match the impedance of generation from a solar panel to the impedance of demand, which is what the consumer is looking for. By doing that, we are able to produce additional usable energy because you're not producing unnecessary forms of energy that you're not able to use. The apparent system optimizes the production of energy for the consumer being able to produce 30% or more usable energy for the consumer. That energy is being produced in parallel with the utility grid at the point of common coupling. The consumer now is not producing energy that is butting against the distribution grid, but energy that is at the waveform of energy that is needed by the distribution grid. How is it different from the work that an inverter does, taking a DC wave and making a sine wave? Is that too banal of a question? It's an excellent question. It's, a, it's at the core of what everybody talks about today. An inverter today will take a DC wave. It'll take an unstable energy waveform, and it converts it to AC power, but it converts only to real power. It's not able to convert to reactive power. Inverters today will take real power and adjust that real power to sit within static bandwidths of reactive power. So you have inverters today behind the meter that produce energy reactive power between 0.95 or 0.90, and they produce it in a static manner. Well, that's effective if you've got all of your equipment operating at that power factor level, but you don't. You have equipment that fluctuates constantly. You need to have an energy system that is dynamic. What a spinning generator does is it responds in real time to whatever the waveform of energy is that is being demanded by a consumer. Inverters today don't do that. A parent's inverter does. A parent's inverter mimics a spinning generator so that it dynamically produces all waveforms of energy as they're needed. That's the big difference between being able to produce one form of of energy that uh, requires you to draw additional forms of energy from the utility grid, or that that's able to allow you to meet all of your energy needs within your building envelope or your your site um, from a clean energy system. It might be worth restating or maybe phrasing a different way. Why a facility can't benefit fully from a localized clean energy generation source that's running through uh, a converter, in this case an inverter, and how you can take that clean energy, traditionally intermittent, uh, traditionally not um, reactive power enabled, and make it appear to be a spinning generator. I'm, I'm not sure I'm entirely clear. 
the difference between how a spinning generator accomplishes what it does and traditional clean energy sources don't, but then a parent now is able to do this. I, I recognize as well by saying this, that we're not in, uh, obviously you could probably give like a doctoral thesis on this. Um, I'm trying to find a way that the uninitiated, maybe someone coming in from telecom or, or some other industry is really trying to understand where this industry is going, how they could wrap their head around the, the differentiation between a spinning generator and how a parent views the world of like making clean energy look more like what our traditional energy grid is used to so that things can function more seamlessly. Today as consumers, you're able to do very few things with your energy sources. You are able to turn the lights on and off. You have very little control over the energy that you have within your space. What traditional inverters do is support one aspect of that energy delivery. Traditional inverters will provide a level of real power for consumers, and it still requires consumers to purchase reactive power from the utility grid. And all consumers pay for reactive power, whether you're paying for it in transmission charges or distribution charges or just in in unused um, kilowatts that your system is producing that is 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 not optimized. What a parent does is it integrates all of those systems together. We produce exactly what you would get if you didn't have a solar system but turn the lights on and off. We provide a complete set of energy that you can use for your site. You don't purchase reactive power from the utility grid. The benefit of doing that is that you have improved uh, financials, you have improved return on returns on investment, but you also have improved power quality. Devices today operate with internal power supplies, external power supplies. They have different harmonics. And what that does is it creates different sine waves that butt against each other. And I know I'm going into, you know, total geekdom here. But the problem with the electronics that we have is that you're losing voltage, you're losing harmonics and and frequency, which form the perfect sine wave. In order to balance all of that, you need a system that's able to meet the dynamics of that energy locally. And no inverter today, no power electronics today can do that other than an apparent system because a parent is able to match all of those harmonics and frequencies of voltage locally. The big difference between what a parent does and any other inverter, and when I say dynamically, I mean in subseconds. So dynamically matches exactly what a consumer needs with the exact waveform matching all harmonics, all frequencies of your elevator, of your HVAC system, of your pool pump, of your electric vehicle. It's a a technology that fully brings a generator into your home, brings a utility grid into your home, whereas before you had part of your energy being produced locally. Jacqueline, it's really fascinating the complex level of work that you guys are achieving. I think one of the things that a lot of folks probably sitting here thinking to themselves is, you know, how has this company been around for 
nine plus years, really, when you got engaged, like circa 2007, 2008, before it was even apparent, called apparent. Our industry almost implicitly survives on venture capital, and yet you guys have been able to survive and grow and thrive for a decade under the radar without any venture capital. Can you help me understand the sort of fundamental way that you've been able to achieve this decades-long growth uh, and how the your approach to capital has informed the sort of the, the nature or growth path, maybe even technology decisions that underlie what is currently Apparent Inc.? So you're right. We haven't sought venture or we didn't seek venture capital in the formation of Apparent. We relied more on angel investors and friends and family. We did a series A round with family offices that closed in 2015. We raised a significant amount of money for a small company in the range of about $14 million. We had hoped to raise 10, so we had a small overhang with regard to, to that raise. But really what a parent has done with capital is we've deployed our technology and built systems using systems to generate capital that we've then used for our operations and growth. And it's done a couple of things. One is it's forced us to be very strategic in terms of our technology development, but also in terms of how we are moving forward in the market. We have built uh, applications from our proprietary intellectual property that are, are very geared towards what the company goal is. And the company goal is to follow that electron from generation all the way through to integration with the utility grid. What we've done in terms of building applications is to build power electronics, both for solar and storage, an electrical meter that works on, on the side of your building to identify the major um, equipment within your building and be able to manage the energy uh, needs of those appliances. We focused step-by-step step across uh, that platform, and we've kept ourselves very small in that process. So we haven't, we haven't exponentially grown. It's limited how a parent has been able to scale uh, until we've had a product that is incredibly robust. That's really what we've done in terms of looking to our business to generate revenue, to be able to support our activities. That reaches a point, though, and what a parent is doing now in terms of wanting to scale is reaching out for a broader um, investment. We're now planning a Series B that is going to be targeted towards a strategic partnership so that we can go ahead and scale our activities in a faster and um, more aggressive cycle. So for those who maybe aren't as familiar with hardware investing, um, there's two things that I think are important. The first is I mean, you're a hardware slash software play. You've got your own 
custom hardware that couples with your software plays nicely to work at the operational level of the facility. One of the things that just stands out to me is this is the first time I've met someone who runs a company that has a hardware focus that uh, that was able to achieve a decade of growth, actual in-field product performance. I don't know how much you want to speak to actual revenue, but you know, at least equivalent to more uh, revenue as you've raised in capital to support the lack of need to go out and raise more capital. So traditional hardware investing is you plunk a ton of money in, typically from venture capital, so that you can build the idea, bring it off of a page and into the real world. You guys actually built the idea with the you know leveraging the capital that you were able to raise in the round that you mentioned. And now it's perpetuating itself with actual infield deployments from paying customers, which I think in and of itself is remarkable, even if it, you know, let's, let's say like took nine years to get there instead of what maybe you could have achieved in three or four years with, with venture capital. The other thing I want to highlight and maybe have you pin down for me just so I'm clear on it, the planning the Series B targeting a strategic partnership, the way my understanding is that a lot of hardware in particular sort of gets to a level where you you want or need a corporate in the industry that could potentially utilize your technology or give you a platform of growth to invest in the company and and give you runway uh, even if they're not the eventual acquiring partner is that is that what you mean by a strategic partnership yeah exactly so you're absolutely right most companies building hardware will go ahead and invest heavily in building that product and deploy it rapidly, even you know before before it's been integrated or or well developed. And they need to because they need to have a return on the financial investment. It makes perfect sense for us. We approach this the way we did for two specific reasons. One is we really wanted to build a product that that was a base to integrating into the marketplace. We didn't want to go out too early. By the same token, we were too early. So we had developed a, an intellectual property, and we talked about this at uh, on the panel. We came out with an intellectual, a robust intellectual property in an application that the market was just not ready for. So we needed to be able to deploy and demonstrate what the the technology could do and um, worked on regulatory issues that um, fortunately today um, at an inflection point with the market demand. So you, you're seeing regulatory issues in terms of new functionality that's required for power electronics. You're seeing regulatory requirements for new buildings, greenhouse gas emissions for electric vehicles, all of those regulations are things that are very important. And what we did is we took a step back. We continued to build our technology. We deployed the technology. We developed it in the field. And we worked on the other aspects of making a market that can support the applications that we know we can build from our intellectual property. And while we're on the topic of intellectual property, how many patents do you have currently and how many are in, in the works? So we have 40 patents that have been issued in the United States and around the world. And we have 52 patents that are pending. We have a very robust patent portfolio. It's a testament to the engineering crew and it's a testament to the, the disruptive nature of the technology. It's, it's novel. 
Did you work on IP protection as a lawyer? In an indirect manner. I'm not a patent attorney and I don't litigate. I've never litigated patent disputes. What is very important for a technology company, however, is being able to have those processes in place, identify novel uh, discoveries and then, or (laughs) discoveries, and then being able to protect them because those are assets that companies have. You know, something else for me that on the software side, a lot of folks can create a software. The core underlying assumption is that it serves X market when somebody else might look at it from another business and say, oh, actually what you've created is really novel uh, and can serve can solve that problem. But man, if you knew what I know about this industry, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be 10 X your size. One of the things that you, you guys have tested and iterated around where your software solves the most problems or, or said a different way, creates the most value. I think that I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have found your way to the integration of electric vehicles and all of the potential opportunities therein around storage and EVs as one of the right platforms for your software to pivot towards. How did you find your way to that if in fact that's true? And if it's not, correct me and lead me toward towards the water. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Electric vehicles are a huge issue for the existing utility grid. And again, you know, we've we look at the problems that that the grid, the energy market as a whole faces. Integration of DERS, integration of distributed energy resources is an issue for the utility grid. But electric vehicles far outpace any issue that's presented by DERS. Electric vehicles, there are a number of industry uh, reports. Black and Veatch came out with a very powerful analysis earlier this year, talking about the drive towards electric vehicles and the impact on the distribution grid. If you've got vehicles that are charging at a depot and your interconnection point is a very limited 480 volt pole mounted transformer, you're just not going to get the energy delivered to that point to be able to charge those vehicles. Today, you have charging stations that are capping the amount of energy that can be delivered to vehicles and charging at a slower pace because the amount of energy and the waveform of energy that needs to be delivered to the vehicles is not available. The opportunity that exists in electric vehicle charging is an opportunity for the clean energy industry but it's also a need that the broader energy market, the utility grid, needs to face and solve. And they need to solve it with the ability to produce all waveforms of energy, again, your real reactive and apparent power, locally and dynamically to meet what an electric vehicle battery is is looking for. So what we did is we really looked for, or we're responding to, issues that are presenting themselves in the energy market that can be solved with our platform. It's the same platform that we're deploying for residential DERS, and it's the same platform that would be deployed on the distribution side as well as up to the low voltage. So nothing has changed in terms of that. It's just, again, following generation all the way through to the broader energy market. That is fantastic. And this integration, uh, I know that you all have uh, some partnerships with 
large global storage concerns. Is this where you've begun to find the momentum in deploying your product that's led to the B round that you spoke of? Yes. We've seen, as as we talked about a little bit, we've been working towards building and demonstrating our technology in the field. We've also been working on regulations and the adoption of an integrated energy system that allows consumers to participate in that system. What we've been doing is working with partners, both who we've approached and who've approached us, to deploy our technology to advance their products. We've been working with BYD. In particular, BYD is the largest EV manufacturer in the world and an energy storage company. BYD has announced that we're a partner of theirs in terms of solar and storage for manufacturing sites and facilities. We're also working with electric vehicle companies, um, electric bus companies, in terms of energy charging and energy management for those vehicles. When we realized that the market had actually reached the point where our technology could be rapidly deployed, we decided that it was time to scale and time to approach the market for a Series B and a strategic partnership. This episode is also brought to you by Adani Solar USA a fully integrated renewables company from solar sale and module manufacturing to project ownership and operation. Adani has an impressive operating and contracted pipeline of over 14 gigawatts of solar energy projects and recently received the largest solar award ever of eight gigawatts. It's mind blowing. And it includes a single site project of two gigawatts, which itself is tied for the world's largest. No one knows mega scale projects like Adani. If you'd like to work with Adani, go to mysuncast.com forward slash Adani, A-D-A-N-I, and fill out the information request form, and we'll put you in touch with their local team. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts, so why lose that sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. This might be a little nebulous for some who are listening and not so familiar with the marketplace or how hardware scales. There's two things that I'm curious about. The first is, can you give me an example of what would a strategic investor look like for a company like yours? And then the follow on to that is seems like you're at the point where you're moving from bespoke projects to scalable, repeatable projects. And I'd be curious to hear like how you knew that you'd gotten to that point. Well, let me answer the second first, because I think that that leads, that sort of explains what, what the strategic is that we're looking for. In terms of progression of the company, we've built a platform that has not only the extraction and management systems that we've been talking about, the ability to produce 
all waveforms of energy dynamically at all levels in all four quadrants locally, being able to control that. So being able to dispatch and control that platform so that you can utilize that platform to meet consumer demands. Once we were able to demonstrate that platform at multiple sites, we understood that we were at a point of of scalable uh, production. We also have some stellar partners in terms of manufacturing. We've been working with U.S.-based manufacturing for years. Today, we're manufacturing through Benchmark Electronics, uh, primarily in Texas, and also Dynalab in Ohio. We've been working very diligently with U.S.-based manufacturing, not just assembly, but but core core manufacturing. Those are the two two real issues that we overcame. One is the design and development of the product and the quality of the supply to be able to actually integrate and manage through um, scale. So what does this look like in terms of a strategic partner? What we're looking for is a partner where we can add value to their balance sheet. We have an opportunity in our hardware and our software to integrate with companies that are looking for energy management, for storage, energy management, for electric vehicle charging, and also for distributed energy aggregation. The ability to utilize energy systems that are located behind the meter, utilize those assets for an emerging market, an emerging wholesale market. There are three different potential strategic partnerships where we could succeed. Who would you say is the avatar or the ideal customer that you are seeking to engage with? Oh, that's a good one. It would be, in, in my mind, we, we have sort of a modified microgrid concept. So an urban setting, you can sell energy peer-to-peer and also have electric vehicle charging and, and public bus charging. When you think of urban settings, urban settings are, are end of line right? There's little little real generation that you can have in a downtown environment. So being able to optimize that energy, and if you can have powerful, complete energy being produced by commercial sites, building sites, public buildings in an urban setting, being able to, to exchange that energy peer-to-peer, that would be an ideal customer for an apparent system and an ideal benefit for the utility grid because the need to deliver energy all the way through to that grid, but also the ability to have an urban setting, an urban set of buildings support the utility grid in terms of voltage regulation and and even capacity. Commercial buildings in an urban setting, electric vehicles in an urban setting are ideal. I think of uh, you know some of the utilities that have acquired uh, you know, green charge networks uh, as an example. <laughs> Those types of companies that are actively transforming their business model are ideal strategics for you guys. Grid operators, <laughs> traditional uh, traditional asset deployment owners. Um, you know maybe they're converting their fleet from spinning spinning assets to to clean energy and trying to think about how they can serve not only customers, but how they can serve other utilities. Uh, I think that it's interesting. We're going to see 
we are already seeing companies like Enel and EDF um, sort of vault into another level of asset ownership where they're no longer like just a regional grid operator or utility, as it were, for, for T&D, but they're owning assets that other utilities leverage and deploy. So it seems like the CNI market, where, again, I mentioned Green Charge Networks, but STEM and others are playing, is a ideal target market. I wonder if you would include like fleet management, you know, bus charging in there. And also, I'm curious if there's a sweet spot that you've identified that really fits for you. You're absolutely right. CNI is is key. And we include EV fleet charging in the CNI space just because of the the size of of fleet charging. The sweet spot in that in that market space is probably around a megawatt of capacity. It's, you know, it can dip down to about half a megawatt, but it's a sizable amount of energy that's needed to be to be utilized and can be managed efficiently. You know, it's interesting. You're absolutely right about the space that companies are going into today. When you look at some of the things that large utility structures like even Nextera are doing, they're deploying solar and storage for voltage regulation at substations in the low voltage grid. They're seeing that integration of energy management and clean energy support at all aspects of the spectrum. And what they're doing is, in addition to other utilities are doing, is looking to deploy solar behind the meter as a a support for their distribution systems. That's exactly what, you know, the the development of clean energy is, is heading towards. And quite frankly, it's going to take it out of a niche market where you're only providing one little aspect of energy or one waveform of energy behind the meter by integrating it completely into the delivery and support of the broader energy market. My mind is going because I'm in biz dev and sales predominantly, and uh, but I'm thinking about like the partner model that you guys might be thinking of or deploying. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of the big bus manufacturing companies and even BYD that are looking at your product and thinking of how to integrate it. But if I'm sitting here listening to this, how would I know that I've sort of self-qualified into someone who would be interested in making a phone call to a parent because it fits in my business? Like I'm thinking of, you know, I, I know folks from EVgo listen to the show. I know folks that work with Tesla and all the different aspects, even developing charging sites uh, are listeners of the show. I'm just trying to think of like, if I'm listening to this, who, who am I that now I'm su- super interested in working with or reaching out to a parent? For charging stations in particular, and and focusing on electric vehicles as a segment, electric vehicles today are having exponential growth. The biggest problem that that is flowing from that is the ability to have the same kind of gas station type charging facility for your vehicles. You don't want to change behavior. What you want to do is enable the growth of electric vehicles. So you want to be able to allow people to drive their vehicles, stop if they want to, stop if they need to, and charge efficiently at all times. Okay. So in order to do that, you need to have charging facilities that can be interconnected. That's a huge problem for charging companies because utilities can't support the interconnection. The second part of that is when you have the interconnection, being able to deliver energy efficiently at cost-effective prices is something that needs to be managed and controlled so that 
consumers can utilize those electric vehicles across the board. Those are the two things that a, a parent enables. We enable the interconnection to begin with, and we manage energy so that energy is efficiently used. What that means is that by producing real reactive and apparent power, we're producing all waveforms so that you can charge vehicles more efficiently. Now, let's take a specific example. Our application in charging from storage, so charging is premised on being able to have adequate energy. To do that, you need to have storage. In order to charge storage, whether it's from solar or from the grid, we at Apparent are able to produce reactive power and the charging losses that occur from either solar or the grid to storage are reduced, reduced by 12 to 15%. We do the same thing on discharging from storage. Again, because we're able to produce reactive power matching the impedance from the discharge, we reduce the loss that occurs from storage charging to an electric vehicle by, again, another 15%. So you have a more efficient charging system that is able to manage your energy once you've gotten that interconnection to begin with. Making the distributed energy resources more efficient doesn't mean that you're going to allow them to operate at, you know, 98% more efficiency in terms of producing real power in and real power out. What you need to look at is what do consumers need? Consumers need to be able to charge their vehicles. In order to charge your vehicle, you need all waveforms of energy, not just real power. That's apparent. That's what we do. I just imagine it must have been a grueling period, eight plus years waiting for the market to arrive. <laughs> <When you've... laughs> I can only tell you of, of some of the meetings where early on we were so excited and demonstrating our technology and explaining what we can do. And we had industry leaders looking at us and saying, so what? You know, it's, it's just too early. Somebody recently said that, you know, you have these ideas, you need to either shift and find a way to bring them to market or you need to abandon them and you know step step aside and take take a different path and we've done both we've had to abandon some applications that were just too early and were leapfrogged by others and we've had to take a step sideways in order to see how we can bring this application to the market you know i think about how a lot of the work that i do centers around helping folks think about marketing their product or building out their sales team and working on the sales ops and efficiency i was floored to know that you have zero like sales team i understand that you've got a very talented business development director can you by way of sort of enunciating how your clients have found you maybe share with us a story of how byd became a customer BYD became a customer because we needed storage. We have a site outside of Davis that's uh, PVUSA. It's very well known in the in the clean energy industry because it's a, a testing site by DNVGL for solar and storage products. So we needed a, a site up there because we have one of two wheeling agreements from that site to the city of Davis. We put energy onto the PG&E grid and the city of Davis is credited by the amount of energy. And we could optimize it using solar charge storage. 
BYD, we purchased a battery from BYD. We were fortunate enough that we had very receptive engagement with BYD in terms of improving storage performance using our platform. And that really became the beginning of a collaboration with BYD. It's a company that's got some stellar storage products. You marry that with a stellar energy management and control platform, and the output is much improved. Jackie, I have already had several of these calls with you. I really feel like I could probably talk to you for a day without, without ceasing. Uh, and, and, and as of, as a philo math, like I really love this because I feel like I'm growing by the second here in this call, but let's turn the corner here. Cause you also have, you know, more than a couple of decades of experience in startup management and growth and advising. So I'd love to be able to peel back the onion a little bit there and see what we can learn around that other element of who you are and how you show up in the world. What are some key lessons or takeaways perhaps from the most important mentors in your career? The most important lesson that I've learned that helps me in leading a company is listening to the people around you, hiring smart people and allowing them a voice in decision-making is critical. The final decisions and and the steps forward need to have some kind of finality, but you learn so much from the people with which you work and the people with with whom you interact. You know this better than, than I do because of the nature of your business, but I think that having the ability to learn and listen is key to any success in terms of corporate growth, in terms of technology growth. It's, it's the core of, I think, the, the biggest attribute that I have. You know, you spent the better part of your career involved in clean energy off and on for 20 years, obviously a decade at a parent. You initially were advising startups. You mentioned to me privately, you know, solar installation, manufacturing, somewhat unrelated to what you're doing today, but you know, you migrated from being a general counsel or corporate counsel to really rolling your sleeves up and helping entrepreneurs with the hard work of getting a startup going. What advice with that lens might you have, given that for so many years you worked with startups, what mistakes, correlations, cautions, et cetera, might you be able to highlight for us today? The one thing that I would tell somebody who is starting out today is you're going to make mistakes. Understand that you're going to make a lot of mistakes. A technology company, in most cases, you don't have a roadmap. You don't have a path that you're going to follow. So you need to have resilience. You need to be able to learn from the people around you, learn from your the steps that you're taking Be as clear-eyed as you possibly can and own up to taking a wrong turn or making a mistake and then being able to correct it. The advice that I would give is what we've talked about in terms of, of the charger at a parent. Understand that even the best technology decisions or the best products may not be ready for the market at the time that that you're there, or the best hiring decisions may not always pan out. You need to be clear-eyed about it and you need to take a step back, correct for that 
for that situation, have the resilience to power through and on. That's the advice that I would give somebody who's who's stepping into this space. I believe that readers are leaders in many cases and, and leaders are readers. Is there a book or maybe more that you've recommended or gifted the most that serve as, for you, illustrative of uh, the lessons that you've learned and you want to pass along? Okay. This is probably going to land me on a like a therapy couch or something, but I think that the one book that I've given out more than anything else are the writings of Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, for people who don't remember, was a general who was forced to come back to save Rome. And he gave up everything in order to do that. And when it was done, he he packed up his equipment, went home, and became a farmer. And I think that being ready to perform at the moment that you need, answering the call, being able to learn again, I keep coming back to this, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You need to learn. You need to be coachable. And being able to respond is probably what I strive for. So that's that's what I give out. Jacqueline, as we wrap here, I have a question around sort of your daily practice or consistent habits. Is there something that shows up in the way that you begin or end your day or maybe some other consistent habit or practice that for you has had a great impact on the work or the life that you live? The one thing that I can't say that it's it's something that's done every, you know, at a specific time every day, but I do earnestly try and think about where I am, where I am in terms of the progress of the week, the month, the year within your own life, but also within the life of your company or your endeavor. If you lose the sense of your place or where you are, I think that you you can lose your path and lose direction in terms of where the company is going. And there's so much associated with that. You've, you remember that people who are working with you are individuals and they all have families. And, you know, you recognize all of that in terms of the interrelatedness of, of how you are all building together, not you by yourself, but you are building this together. That is something that really allows me to focus because I understand then where my role and my place is and, and how our company is going to move forward. So it's a, it's a meaningful exercise that I think people don't do as much or they do it in the context of meditation where you try and calm yourself down and, and think about you know your place and, and the moment. Taking that and expanding it to your, your overall activity is, I think, one of the steps that I do that, that's helpful. How can folks find more of you or more about you? Where could they engage with you best? The best way to reach a parent and be directed to, you know, the, the correct people um, would be through the website. Our web address is www.apparent.com. Well, we'll link to your LinkedIn account as well. So expect that you probably get some inbound mm-hmm. uh, connection requests there. And let's end today, as we always do, with what I call a bold prediction. Jacqueline, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? I, especially this year with the 
economic issues that the country is facing predict that this is going to be a game change for clean energy in terms of broader adoption than we've ever seen before. I think that there is a awareness of the fact that humans are just one part of the environment that in which we're living. And I am predicting that that is going to encourage even greater adoption of, of clean energy within the United States, definitely, but worldwide. Well, as that becomes reality, we certainly will be tracking it here on Suncast and potentially having you back to explain how Apparent has grown, how that strategic investment is going, and much more about the way that your company is leveraging and taking advantage of and, in fact, spurring that adoption like we've never experienced before. Jacqueline D'Souza is the president of Apparent Inc., and we have spent an enormous amount of what I would consider enjoyable time today diving down the rabbit hole of how the energy markets work and how companies like Apparent are readying the energy grid for the type of clean energy adoption that you just described. Jacqueline, thank you for joining us once again on Suncast. Oh, Nico, it's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. All right, Solar Warriors. I hope that you are prepared more than ever to take on the energy transition with renewed vigor, strength, insight, and tactical advice. And if you're just dipping your toes into how our renewable sources can ever meet 100% clean grid, then I bet you are getting a ton of value out of this discussion with Jackie. I'd love to hear from you. So would she. Send us your takeaways. We always post these episodes on LinkedIn. That's as good a place as any, frankly, my preference for us to connect. So if you just drop a simple comment on the post that we made about this episode, that'd be amazing. And hey, if you share it, We're both humbled and honored. If you are eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find resources and highlights from this and all other discussions that we have here on Suncast, along with social media links, books, recommendations, articles explaining in more detail, even more than that, over on the blog at mysuncast.com. While you're there, please take a couple minutes of your precious time and give me your feedback in our listener survey. I do listen and read every single answer. And it helps me make this show better for you. You can find that at mysuncast.com forward slash survey. And lastly, if you're a newbie to the industry, do yourself a favor and join our free Facebook group, The Energy Guild, to network with hundreds of other clean energy professionals and get access to exclusive live trainings, mentorship, guild-only guides, and more. And heck, if you've been in the industry for a long time and you still haven't joined the guild, what is holding you back? Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior.